Hi, this is Sophia Ruan Goucher, author of A to Z of Detoxing, the ultimate guide to reducing our toxic exposures, and host of this Practical Non-Toxic Living podcast. Welcome. Now in April 2020, as we're all at home experiencing a global lockdown, I think about how hard it is for many people to be home alone. For a surprising number of people, being still with their thoughts is hard, especially as we live with extraordinary concerns and through historically difficult times. It reminds me of something I recently read. A review of 11 studies found that participants had a hard time spending even 6 to 15 minutes alone with nothing but their thoughts. Most people prefer doing mundane activities rather than nothing. Some even rather do something harmful. For example, even though all participants had previously stated that they would pay money to avoid being shocked with electricity, most men, 67% of men, and a quarter of women in the study would rather self-administer electroshocks than to be quiet and think. Thoughtful about all those at home, I knew that the guest of this episode, Tal Rabinowitz, the founder of Den Meditation, could help us consider how we can not just cope through this lockdown or other challenging times, but maybe even come out of it more aware and comfortable with ourselves. There has never been a better time than now to discover you more fully. As the world reopens, this new understanding can inform how to craft your new normal, which will include new routines, maybe new jobs, and a new way of socializing. Den Meditation has two studios in Los Angeles and hundreds of online workshops and classes. Tal is also host to a wonderful podcast called Den Talks. In explaining meditation, you'll hear Tal say, there's so much to all of us so many layers, and most of us haven't even begun to even peel one of them. And by not doing that, we're not embracing our full capacity of what we're capable of doing, what we're capable of thinking, what we're capable of accomplishing, how we really need to be behaving to actually accept and receive. I hope my conversation with Tal helps to intrigue you into the benefits of being still and simply noticing your thoughts and feelings. From learning more about yourself, new opportunities are created. And remember that the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast, Den Talks Podcast, and Den Meditation Virtual Classes are always available to help. Also, I'm updating a few online workshops like Home Detox, EMF Detox, and Cleaning Detox to consider COVID-19 and infectious diseases in general because I think they'll become part of our new normal considerations. For links to these resources and podcast show notes, register for my email newsletter. You can join by texting the word DETOX spelled D-E-T-O-X to the number 66866. Once again, text the word DETOX, D-E-T-O-X, to the number 66866. Now on with the show. I hope you enjoy it. Hi. Hi. How are you holding up? I'm, it's good. You know, I actually, I probably had COVID-19 and it went through my family. So there's been that. And then there was escaping Manhattan and then settling our family into a home for a few months. I wasn't expecting to return to the city till after the summer. So there was sadness in that and chaos. 
And then just trying to figure out a new normal while everything else is changing drastically. But, but all is good. I find that there are many opportunities and blessings from this lockdown. And I thought that might be a really good theme to explore with you. Sure. I'm so excited to talk to you. Same here. I was a big fan of your podcast from before I met you in LA. So really was truly an honor to be a guest because I listened to Done Talks and the conversations you have with your guests are so opening and they, they allow me to see something in a different way, consider things I never thought before. It really is like a gateway to so much more positivity and spirituality and lots of really helpful, empowering, loving things. So thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for having me on your on Done Talks. And as I listen to you on your podcast, I've become so curious about you. <laughs> First of all, thank you for that lovely, lovely intro. That's so kind. I'm glad that's what you get from it because that's the whole point of that podcast. So it, it, it really makes me happy to know that that is the effect and that is how you connect with it. So thank you. That means a lot. So First of all, why don't we just start with how are you, where are you, and how have you adjusted to this COVID-19 reality? You know, it's interesting. I'm in Los Angeles, so we're right where we always are. We closed down. The Den itself closed its doors pretty early. We were one of the first places to close down. And when did you close down? In March? It was like March 14th, maybe. Now, look, pretty soon afterwards, everything started having to shut down. But we were very proactive about it. And look, it's a hard time for everyone. And that's what I keep trying to stress to people, which is nobody is unaffected by this. Everybody in different ways. And I think in that sense, there's a beauty in it being a great equalizer. But I think it's also important for people to remember that on all ends, because there's a lot of fear, understandably. And I think for me, as you asked about me personally, it's been interesting. Like you said earlier, when we were talking, you're finding your new normal same thing. I mean, I had to like quickly kind of reinvent our business a little bit. So we were working actually really hard and we'll see what happens. I mean, time will tell as far as what survives, what sustains. I think that's what's fascinating about the shutdown and this virus. Nobody really knows what's going to exist on the, on the end of it. And I think I'm just trying to do whatever I can do to keep providing for those who I know need it to also be a place for our teachers to teach. So in that sense, I'm happy to be of service and happy to have that purpose. But then on the personal level, it's tricky. I'm really trying to figure out my personal balance, which is harder, as you know, when you're a parent under the same roof, as well as working full time. Because I joked, I'm like, I'm actually working more than I was pre. And so to have it all under one roof, that's my challenge, which I do think most people are being presented with the challenges they've always been presented with. It's just now coming back, doubling down in a bigger way. So for me, that balance has always been my thing and I've gotten much better at it. And so it's interesting that it's kind of resurfacing in a way that now I'm like, oh my God, how do I figure it out? Because I have to figure it out in a whole different way. So that's been my challenge. But like you said, the blessings are also there. I was teaching this the other day where I said, I'm not saying this lightly, of diminishing how difficult this time is, but I am many times in awe that I am alive and part of something that is such a huge shift and change. 
Like there's moments where all of a sudden I'm like, wow, like I am part of something that forever is, it's historical, no matter how you look at it from every perspective, medical, financial, spiritual, like it's, you know, political, every, it's, it, we're literally hitting everything. And in that moment, I try and let go of anything that I may be going through and just try and appreciate that I get to be in the civilization in a time that I know civilization is changing. We tell our children every night at dinner, we talk about how historic this is and we really encourage them to write in their journals because they will be talking about it for the rest of their lives. How did you come to start done meditation? Like, did you first get into yoga and that led you to meditation or was there another pathway? I was in entertainment for a long time. So when I moved to LA, I immediately got in the industry and was very lucky and fortunate and moved my way up pretty quickly. So I always did very well, had a very, as stable as one can get in that world. I mean, nothing's ever truly stable in entertainment, but very stable, great career, worked with amazing people and was doing well. So my last job was not my favorite, that was a great job. And it was only not my favorite because it moved me further away from the creative. I was running comedy at NBC at the network. So I was further away versus before I was at the studio, which was slightly more on the creative side. And so I was already feeling this kind of like, detachment from my job, which if I really look back, started even before that job. And even though it was an amazing job and I loved managing and having my team, it was a harder time. I was then going through a divorce. And so it was a messy time then too. So I started meditating. It's like, I literally woke up one day and was like, I think I need to learn how to meditate. And so- And like, what year was this? So that- well, 2012, maybe? So 2012, you had never really been that familiar with meditation. You wake up one morning and think, I really should meditate. What's funny is a friend of mine reminded me that I, I had meditated before, but yes, it was like, I really wanted to like make it part of a practice. And so I actually, interesting story. I knew one person to ask that I knew, knew, and I was like, oh, I'm going to ask them. And I got their name and information. And I was texting. I literally picked up my phone to text my friend, one of my best friends. And I went to text her to be like, hey, I'm going to learn how to meditate. Do you want to do it with me? And when I picked up the phone, she texted me, hey, I just got in touch with so-and-so and so-and-so. I'm going to learn how to meditate. Do you want to do it with me? I mean, it was bizarre. And I was like, that's so freaky. And so we, with the head of casting, it was the three of us, learned to meditate literally in our offices. It was great. And so I was meditating. And that was very tricky and hard for me because I was going through a lot. I have a busy mind anyway. Um, but then you add like divorce, trying to figure out what to do with, with that unhappiness. It was just a lot. And in a very high pressure job, I remember thinking, well, I'll just go somewhere in the morning and, you know, meditate before work or I'll go after work or like, where can I go during lunch? There's got to be somewhere. I mean, there's a class for everything. Like you can take yoga at any time, like Pilates anytime, boxing. I mean, everything existed. And every time I went on my computer, I couldn't find anything and I couldn't believe it. And so then in the spring, I was in Manhattan for, we had always had upfronts where you would sell your fall schedule to the advertisers. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm in New York. New York will have to have it, which is kind of funny because now that I know how it works, LA tends to be a little bit first in that type of stuff. But it clicked there where I was like, okay, there has to be something that's more approachable and easy, like something people can go and drop in whenever they want. 
and also doesn't feel like you're joining necessarily something. Like you want the idea of community, but I didn't want people to feel like they have to believe in a specific thing in order to be part of it. I wanted it to be more accessible. And again, it's changed a lot since then. Now you don't, you don't really have that barrier to overcome. Back then it was, a lot has changed in five years. By a lot has changed in five years, do you mean like a stigma to meditation? Yeah, the perception of meditation. I think within just five years, the idea that everyone can do it, everyone should do it. It doesn't matter who you are. It does not make you a hippy dippy. It does not make you woo woo. Is totally the norm now. I think back then there was still like a lot of what is meditation, huh? Or even mm, that's what like those vegans do. Or like you have to, you're you know weird like angel loving. You know, I mean, everyone just thought it was like this woo woo hippy dippy thing. And my point was, how can I create a space? that is accessible that anyone would be able to walk in and not feel that. And by the way, you can be as hippy dippy woo as you want. I love that stuff. Always have. But I didn't want it to feel like you had to be. It's like you eat meat, great. You don't eat meat, great. Like you drink, great. You don't drink, great. The whole point is be you. And so that's where the idea kind of solidified for me, but I was still working. And then when my contract ended that spring, I took some time. Yeah. About six months or seven months later, I was like, I think I need to pull the trigger. And so I did. And then it happened very quick. Open like three or four months later. It's insane. And what year was this? 2016. 2016, you opened your first studio. Yeah. And how was attendance? Like, did people just trickle in or was there a lot of interest right away? We lucked out. Timing-wise, we lucked out because when simultaneous to opening up our doors, some major articles were coming out, really pushing it to the mainstream of its importance. What I love is like, I think we also really helped make it accessible for people, gave people a place to try it where they didn't feel so alone or on their own having to do it or not having, again, to join something or pay a lot of money. At that point, you know, TM, which is what I originally learned, you could do that, but it was very, it's, it was expensive. So again, this was like trying to remove that barrier of entry. You probably have so many stories about how meditation has helped people. Can you share some of the benefits for people listening who aren't that familiar with meditation? I wouldn't say I have that much experience with meditation. Like I do yoga. And so at the end of a yoga class, we'll do a little bit. But that's the extent of my exposure to meditation. It's you know, it's a really beautiful thing. And I feel like when more people kind of start looking at it as part of, let's say their exercise regimen, because it's like, you are doing an exercise for yourself. You're bringing yourself to a more present moment. That's what I always say. Like, as you are bringing your brain and your thoughts back, it's not about sitting there and being thoughtless, which I think is what scares people. It's like, my brain's too busy. Mine too. Trust me. I am a nutball up there. Like, it's a lot happening. I lo- and I love it. I love all my thoughts. I mean, some of the places <laughs> I go are pretty amazing. So it's, it's, it's how can we quiet it? How can you learn to actually be present so the thoughts aren't controlling you? I think that's it more than anything. So there's a few benefits that are huge. A, what I just said, to be in a place where your thoughts aren't the ones driving the train or driving your car, I like to say, it's huge. It doesn't mean you don't have thoughts. They'll be your passenger. They can be in the back seat. You can go to the beach. You can do whatever you want with those thoughts, but you need to be the one in control. You need to be the one at the wheel. And so often it's not, it's your emotions are the ones at the wheel. You know, you're sad. It ruins your day and it starts making you make bad decisions. You know, you're anxious. You can't see clearly. That's when your emotions are running the show. And again, it doesn't mean you're not anxious. It doesn't mean you don't get sad. It doesn't mean 
you don't experience all that stuff, you still experience it. That's our human experience. That's who we are. So that to me is huge. The other one people don't tend to talk about a lot, which I just love, and I've always loved it, is you just get to know yourself better. And I forget who said this. Someone said this once, and I thought it was such a beautiful picture where they were like, it's like sitting on a bench with yourself with a beautiful view and just striking up a lovely conversation. And I always love that because I'm like, that's such a beautiful way to say what I feel, which is there's so much to all of us, so many layers, and most of us haven't even begun to even peel one of them. And, and by not doing that, we're not embracing our full capacity of what we're capable of doing, what we're capable of thinking, what we're capable of accomplishing, how we really need to be behaving to actually accept and receive. You know, I think so many of us like to do some of the fun stuff, like, you know, you go to psychics or you like to get your natal chart read or, you know, and by the way, I'm all, I'm all for all of that stuff. But part of meditation is you start to just know all that stuff for yourself. You don't need people to tell you that. You don't need people to tell you this job's not good for you, or this is going to happen to you, or you'll find, you know what I mean? You start to know that. Um, now look, the physical stuff, which is huge, which a lot of people talk about, you know, it decreases anxiety, it decreases stress, which is so important physically, especially right now when we need our immune systems high, because we're not shooting cortisol through our bodies and our adrenal glands aren't going crazy. So instead our glands and our bodies can all be more balanced and therefore we are just healthier human beings. You can sleep better. I mean, so much. The clarity as a creative, I can't tell you how many times you'll sit down to meditate and all the ideas will come. And not even as a creative, if you have your own business, you sit down and sometimes you're like, oh my God, I have to do this. Like it just comes because you're slowing it down enough to open up to all of the information that's there for you. There was a review of several studies on how people felt about being alone. And there is something about most people rather self-administer electroshock therapy than be alone with their thoughts. Wow. And, and so I was I kind of chuckled over that because I thought that explained a lot to me. I also live in Manhattan where maybe I'm surrounded by more people who are used to being really fast-paced and intense with what they get done in a minute. But as I was listening to you, when you first started talking about someone described meditation as just being able to like enjoy getting to know parts of you in a lovely way, I thought there are a lot of people who are afraid to be alone with their thoughts. And we all have so many different parts. We have really lovely pleasant parts. We also have darkness, which, you know, maybe that's what drives us to want to be so busy or some of us, especially in New York. So can you address the fear of being still, the fear of being alone, the fear of being with our dark parts? And by dark parts, I don't necessarily mean evil, but, you know, just anything you're afraid of. Well, absolutely. Again, it goes to that letting the emotions run the show. You know, there's avoidance too, which is like, you think if you don't feel it, then it doesn't exist. Now, here's the thing. It's all energy. So the emotions are there. The darkness, like you said, is there. It's all there. But when you can actually sit with it a little bit, you can also understand it. And there's so much beauty that comes from all of that. You know, there's this notion of not living within duality. So instead of looking at everything as that is bad, that is good, it's just you kind of look at it as it is, you know, and there's a whole and everything 
you can't have the whole without both sides of that. And I think when people can start accepting that within themselves, well, life becomes a lot easier because here's the thing, until you can love all those parts of yourself, no one else can love them either. And so then you end up becoming more alone than you actually realize. And you become physically alone because you have to address those feelings and those emotions. And it is so true. People who tend to be super busy are usually, it's like, you know, there's many outlets to avoid. It's, you know, you can drink, you can, so it can be drinking, it can be sex. It can be, for some people can be really gnarly. It can be like pain induced, but sometimes it's also just keeping yourself really busy. It's keeping that brain really busy. And then you don't, that's almost the scariest one because it's not obviously something bad because you could probably be very accomplished by doing that. You can probably be having a lot of success. So then you start becoming that person who's like, well, nothing's wrong. Look at all the success I have. And yet you haven't even had a conversation with yourself, like you were saying. And it is scary sometimes when you have not trained yourself to be okay and sit with those emotions. So I think part of the beauty and mindfulness does this a lot which is when you learn to breathe and again, let the feeling be there, but just acknowledge it. You don't have to do anything with it. You don't have to, you don't even have to cry. It's not even like, we want you to sit there and cry because I think people then feel like they're going to be forced into this like deep, no, it's just acknowledge it and then start paying attention to feeling it in your body so that you can start incorporating it. Where do you feel it? Because it is energy and it is stored somewhere. And the more in tune you get with yourself, you start to know your emotions before they're even fully present. Like I can feel anxiety, by like the tiniest little flutter, you know, I can feel like nerve. I can feel all of it with just slight little moves because I'm so now aware of where it is for me and everyone is different. So I do think there is something really beautiful about just breathing and acknowledging like, oh, what is that? Oh, that might be sadness. You don't even have to understand why. You don't have to know where the sadness comes from. And then saying, well, where do I feel that? And just that alone is such a beautiful beginning of a relationship that starts to open it. Because if you don't do that, well, then where does the energy go? I mean, just ask yourself that. You know, then energy finds pockets and it finds places to sit. And then it it starts to hound you in different ways. It starts to physically weigh you down. It can really harm your immune system. It can start causing some actual disease and sickness, like those back pains or your hip that's really not been feeling great. Or why is that knee bothering me again? Again, I'm not saying we don't actually get injured, but so much our pockets of energy don't even realize that it's years and years and years of stored pain and emotion that we're not addressing. And by the way, even those of us who have a a regular practice, like I still work with that stuff. I'm just going to dive into you. Sure it can just create more aha moments in a listener. But so for, for you, you mentioned you are now really in touch with where you feel anxiety. So is it always the same place in your body? So will anxiety be in a certain place? Will sadness be in another? Or like, how can you tell what you... For most of us, it repeats in the same place. Now, it doesn't mean my place will be your place. But for most of us, we tend to feel in the same place. I don't want to say you won't feel it somewhere else because, you know, when you really want to get to the woo place, sometimes it can be like the part of your body that correlates with a thing you're going to and then sadness might be sitting there. So I don't want to say you'll never feel it in other places or it might not be connecting to another place. But I think as far as like information and when we tend to put it in different places and you can feel it, it's like, 
for me, a lot is like chest and then kind of stomach. And I think a lot of people are like that. And then stress is like shoulders and neck. I can feel it within seconds of like, and I'm sure a lot of people will be like, yep, that's me too. But everyone's, everyone's different. And so how long did it take for you to get that in touch with yourself that you can recognize anxiety or stress or whatever? Because it, it takes a while, right? It, it's for different people. I think I was always pretty decent about recognizing it within me. I was not always great at communicating it. That's where I had to do a lot of my work. Some people are better at communicating, but yet don't always know what they're communicating about within them. So for me, I had to do a lot of more work of owning it and being okay with it. So like, even that's part of like my divorce issues were like, oh, I had gut feelings constantly. And I could go back and tell you so many times. And I was like, oh, yep, I knew in this moment, I felt it here. I knew that, but I just kept letting my brain take over and letting my brain make the decisions and knowing what, you know, doing the checklist of right and wrong. And this is what it seems like. This is how society works. And I let that win over versus listening to my body. So it's not that I didn't feel it. I wasn't listening to it because I'm a very logical person. So I've had to really learn to appreciate my logic skills, which I have, like I could, I could lawyer anyone like any day, but really learn that like, that's not always the best way to come to an answer. Is it hard for you to just follow your instincts to let, to just make gut decisions? No, I've actually always been very, very lucky that way. Um, So your logic and your instincts are aligned. Ish. Like, you know, I mean, look, I opened the den. That was a weird, people were like, what are you doing? That was all instinct, you know, taking certain jobs. I used to take jobs. People were like, why that job? Always instinct. And they were always ended up great choices. I think for me, where I was not great with listening was like my personal, personal stuff. And that was hard, like in my relationship. That's, that's where I wasn't listening or trusting. So I want to talk to you about den meditation. So, you know, you had this beautiful studio. And I know you have an amazing offering online. I also want, would love for you to talk about the different types of meditation because maybe that's integrated into also what Den Meditation offers. Well, the Den, what I've always felt very strongly about is multi-lineage. And look, there's, I, I won't, I, we would be here forever and you're literally, your viewers will be like, click. But there are so many different lineages and so many different paths to meditation, like anything, like there's a million paths of medicine and ways to study and even yoga, so many different forms of yoga. It's the same idea. So my point being, everything is different for everyone and everyone needs to figure out what that works for them. Also, I think people change and people evolve and at different times you need you need different things. And I think the modern day what's happening, which I kind of love is some people are kind of melding parts of different lineages. Now, look, a purist would hate that, understandably, but I think there's something beautiful to it because we're constantly evolving and we're constantly changing and what you need evolves and change. So under that, the idea behind the den was always come, be yourself, just get to know yourself better and find what works for you. So we've never been about preaching one thing or saying only one thing works. We really try to avoid the idea of this this right here is going to fix you and be the best thing that ever happened to you. It's like you come in, we have all these offerings that we know are just going to help you with your journey inward and to figure stuff out. And we have all the tools for you. You know, I'm very big. Anyone who takes my class knows I'm very big on like the anti-guru. Like there is no one person who can change your life for you. You know, there are people you can look to. There are people that can help guide you and there are people that can help 
you get to the shifts, but ultimately it's all about you. And that's what the den is founded on. And so we offer kind of all these choices because we feel like that is where you will ultimately do your deepest growth. We're virtual right now, so anyone can do it, which has been amazing. Like I love getting emails and texts and DMs from people all over. We've gotten a lot of first responders, you know, one in Boston, one in Chicago, one in San Francisco, who are all just saying like these classes have just saved them through this time. And it is really helpful. And so it is nice to be able to expand that reach and have people from all over be able to do it. So what are the classes like? Are they guided meditations and do they include different, like I don't even, I've heard a lot about TM. The TM is just a mantra based meditation. And again, I love TM. I'm always forever thankful as it was my foray. However, my problem with TM is a little bit of the exclusivity that goes around it. And this idea that if TM is the only thing that truly works and that it's this crazy unique thing. TM is a mantra. They give you a mantra, you learn a mantra and a mantra being a sound, a word that you say over and over again that helps you, in TM's case, go to a transcendental place where you can get to kind of overcome thoughts because the rhythms and the brings you into a frequency. I love chanting. I think chanting is an amazing way. I think mantra is an amazing way. Now it's a silent medit- it's a silent mantra for TM. So you're saying it in your head. So even though it's silent, the vibrations yeah, it's it's kind you? of like the rhythm because when you get your when you get a oh, mantra, you're training your brain. You're just training your brain. Well, you're kind of focusing your brain on something else, and it's something else that puts you into a vibration that allows you to kind of fall deeper. Does that make sense? So, called an anchor meditation. It's a style of meditation where usually the first thing you learn is breath, how to focus on that breath going in and out because it gives you something to focus on. Some might be staring at a candle because it gives you something to focus on. It's like an anchor. So mantra in and of itself is an anchor because it gives you something to focus on. So it's great for people who have busy minds and guided meditation, which we do. They're all guided in a different way. So some have mantras, some are more mindfulness-based, and it's kind of, they walk you through different types of meditations for either self-compassion or happiness and joy, kind of learning to go within We have a lot of psychic classes and the psychic classes, don't be scared by the name, which I love, are very heavily visually guided. So again, it gives your brain something to do. You're kind of picturing yourself somewhere. You're doing things. You're taking your brain on this journey. It's just a journey to a deeper place. So, which I love too. Those are kind of my favorites. Mantra and like visually guided because you you can expand and experience so much by just sitting somewhere. So with the... TM mantras, they aren't necessarily personally assigned by like a a guru or teacher who knows you and believes, oh, you have these issues, so you need to chant this certain mantra. I mean, I'm probably not the best person to ask this because I have a specific opinion on it. That is how it's presented. It is presented, this is your own personal mantra, which it is, you're not allowed to tell anyone, and you fill out a form and it's supposedly based on you. Here's the other thing, which is why I don't subscribe to that. You're changing constantly. So if you're really being given this lifetime mantra that is made for just, and it's not just you. I mean, I guarantee if everyone shared the mantra, it would be very repeated. I think I saw the list of where they come from. You're changing. That's the, you don't always need the same mantra. So you get one mantra and that's you it? One mon- you're given a mantra that's yours. Oh. You're not allowed to tell anyone. And then you learn, you just say it and it kind of becomes a rhythm. I assumed you would get new mantras over time. No, I think the only time that happens is if you learn as a kid, at a certain age, you get a new one. 
I see. Yeah. But, yeah. That explains a, a lot of. Yeah. It's a beautiful tool. Like I don't want to knock it at all. It's a beautiful tool. The only reason I knock it is because it is very similar to so many mantra based meditations that are free and are out there. It's, it's just a mantra based meditation. It's just comes with a big packaging. Okay. Oh, I love it. I love doing mantra. I just don't think it needs the packaging. So you talked about different tools that can be an anchor, whether it's a mantra or staring at a candle or maybe just following your breath. What are the benefits from dedicating attention to an anchor? Then what happens then? Well, so think about it. If, If I was like, okay, just sit here and close your eyes and breathe. What you'd automatically be going like, okay, I have three kids. Where are they on their homework? Like, did they do it? How good of a mom was I today? What do we have to go grocery shopping? Who's going this time? Like, are we taking turns? Am I wearing the mask? Am I not wearing the mask? I mean, there'd be a million things going on in your brain. That's just how we're wired. And some of us more than others. So the benefit is it gives you something to go back to. So it'll still happen. You'll probably do your mantra or you'll do your breath. And you still might find yourself going, oh my God, don't forget to do that. But then you can say, oh, no, no, no. Okay, go back to my breath or go back to my mantra or go back to whatever your anchor is. It gives you something to go back to. I'm a big fan of anchor um, meditations for that reason because I do feel like, especially in this world and this society, and especially with what's happening right now, there's a lot. It's a lot of energy. Our, our, it's, a, it's a big attack on us in many ways, physically, spiritually, mentally. I'm a big fan of having somewhere your brain can kind of focus and then relax. Would you talk a little more about mindfulness? Because I've only recently realized that that's actually a different type of meditation. It really kind of spurs a lot from Buddhism. They share a lot of the same practices. What I love about it, even though it's not my main practice, it is kind of a very practical life way of taking these beautiful concepts of meditation. So there's many different practices within mindfulness that teach you and the primary idea of your thoughts, not running this show, of you know your thoughts, being able to recognize them, kind of being able to let them go. Like I said, many different versions, like even just anchor meditation is a huge part of mindfulness, but they have all different kinds. If you really study mindfulness and go into it, there's all these different techniques of how to work with your emotions. So it's a beautiful way of acknowledging your emotions, learning to feel your emotions, but not letting them control you. And look, some of it's also just daily practice, which you hear people now say, don't forget, be mindful of this, be mindful of that. That's also part of it because when you become more aware of who you are in this universe, you become a more mindful human being just in general. So there's the meditation part, but there's also the practice of just every moment. I came to think about chopping vegetables. It's like a mindfulness practice. And I'm wondering, are, is the act of chopping like the anchor? Yes, everything can be a mindfulness practice. So cooking, again, it's like, and at that moment, just if you can actually be paying attention, how does, your, how does the knife feel as it's chopping? Where does the weight in the knife in your fingers and your hand feel? What is your breath doing? Are you staring? It starts, if you can start making that a whole moment, and paying attention to the sensations, the feel, the noise. What are you hearing when you chop? Are you hearing other stuff out the window? Is it also that? Are you also hearing a rhythm? Is there a rhythm happening? What is that doing to your breath in that rhythm? Is your breath sinking to it or is it not sinking to it? Is it shallow? Is it deep? Has it slowed down? How does your breath feel in your belly while you're doing this? What's your other hand doing? How does it feel? Like the minute you can start then 
really paying attention and then sitting in those sensations, that's a beautiful mindfulness practice. It's really bringing yourself to the present moment awareness. It's really interesting. I've been aware for a while that certain parts of my daily routines are mindfulness practices like chopping vegetables, preparing dinner. But to hear you explain what you just explained was really lovely, even though I've experienced it. And it's funny because when I was talking about it, I'm like, oh God, you realize also how many times you don't do it that way, right? We just go into like, you know, just the zone and the mode of just doing something. And we don't always bring ourselves as into it as we can or as present as we can. Yeah, I can transform your day because I've been trying to transform the daily responsibilities I can't get away from rather than thinking, oh, like my life sucks. I'm always cleaning and cooking to transform it into a mindfulness practice. It's become really lovely. It's not like that every time. No, because you're human and that would be weird if it was. (laughs) But it is beautiful and it's lovely to hear because I get it, me too. Again, I think if you're home and you're a parent too, you're being pulled in a lot of directions that are more intense than they normally are. And it is nice to be able to find ways to settle into them versus letting them kind of be irksome. And that's a practice for all of us. Yeah. So why don't we talk about how the experience has shifted from from Den in the physical space to online? I mean, people need it right now. I think the experience is different in the sense like you're not physically walking into a room with other people anymore, which I know for some people is probably sad. I also think there is so much connection you can get without having to be in the physical. And also I think for some people being home and Finding a way to make their home a sanctuary too is really important. I agree. I think one benefit that stands out to me, one potential benefit of a place like the Den being able, being forced to do everything remotely, digitally, is that rather than your clients thinking, I need to go to the Den to find peace. I need to go to the Den to get grounded. This is forcing everyone to figure out more peace and empowerment at home, where maybe home is a source of great discomfort. And I think at the end of this lockdown, we have the opportunity to know ourselves a lot better and to know the strategies that work for us to self-soothe, to empower, to, you know, when you're feeling sad, how do you perk yourself up? But I think that that is really potentially empowering. It's so empowering. I mean, look, the den, the name den in general was always a play like, yes, Zen den, of course, but like it was also planned den, the home, the part that you go to for comfort. And my point was your den is with you always. And like, yes, you know, you come to the physical space and it's very comforting. It's supposed to be comforting for all people in a place people want to be. The whole point, and we say find your den a lot, It's like, you have to find it for you and you can take it anywhere. And I love that we can be in people's homes because we should be in people's homes and people can go deep and inside. And again, the whole point of the den that we stress is it's about finding yourself and it's about getting to know yourself and it's about going inward. It's not about us changing you. It's not about us fixing you. You fix you. We help you if you need it, but you fix you if you need to even, that there's no fixing. It's like just shifting and getting to know yourself better because everyone is so incredible. So it's just like, how can you get 
through those layers. But yeah, find your den, find it in your own home, find it in your own heart, find it within you. And I do agree with you. I think not making things too light for the people, like there's some people suffering in a gigantic way. This is a beautiful time to get to know yourself in a deeper way. You know, paying attention to your triggers. What is pissing you off? Where are you feeling frustrated? Where are you anxious? Is, is it the losses that are overwhelming you? Is it the idea of not having the paycheck overwhelming you? Is it not knowing how you're going to eat overwhelming you? Is it simpler? Is it the people in your space are annoying you? Whatever it is, there is a discovery about how you operate and how you function that you can open up and discover more about you. So as ugly as the feelings and emotions can be right now, and as challenging and sad and scary as they can be, if you are willing to go two steps further, why? What is my connection to this? Like, why am I not trusting I'm, I'm going to be okay? Why, can I, why am I not trusting that there will be a way? I will be able to find it. What is that about me? What is it about this idea of attachment? Because when you can start doing that work, oh my God, you'll get through this in a very different way. And what, where you'll be able to move from when it's out will be different too. Everyone just wants to be known, heard, and seen. And I, you know, as a mother, I'm wondering, do I let my children feel known, heard, and seen? And so as you were talking about the opportunities we have now at home during some really difficult times with really difficult emotions, it's also an opportunity to just get to know yourself better. Do you know all of yourself? And I think that's a huge gift if we can leave this lockdown, feeling like we understand ourselves better for when the world opens up again. It's the opportunity to really re-enter the rest of the world, the rest of your life, so much more aware of what is good for you, what makes you happy. Well, if you take it one step further, your emotions also want to be, you know, known, seen, and heard. And so that's the thing. They, you don't need to let them control it, but they need, you need to be able to acknowledge that they exist because yeah. without that, then you are not truly known, seen, and heard either. So as we wrap up, I have three questions. So given that you're a household of three, including a four and a half year old, do you have go-to meals like breakfast, lunch, dinner, or snacks? Just like regular things that it works for your family. It's actually changed in quarantine. On Sundays, we've been doing like a stir fry because I don't want to waste anything. So it's, I've been literally just all the leftover vegetables, stir fry, um, super easy, super fast. So if I'm tired, it's not a big issue. She can help me with it because I can like chop. She puts it in the bowl. She loves it. And she gulps it up. And like, I know she's getting vegetables or for her, she really needs um, red meat. So I always throw red meat in there for her because she has low iron. And this um, is with rice? Yes. And sometimes we do noodles, really anything. Yeah. Um, if you really want the lazy man's version, I know it's not great for probably your audience because you guys are way more, you can always take, and I remember my mom used to do this. You can always take like ramen noodles and just don't use the packet and just break it and throw them in. It takes two minutes to cook them. And so that's always super easy too. So we, I do, I love rice. So I do a lot of rice. Um, but really anything. And we just stir fry. And that's become like every Sunday. And it's been so great. And then like a salad, which I always have, a, I always make my dressing ahead. Like I keep a big vat of my dressing. Do you so have like one favorite dressing? Kind of. And so um, and I it? keep it. I do um, olive oil, garlic, some mustard, and then um, 
salt, pepper. I mix it all together. And depending if I want to add a little lemon or not. Um, and then I usually, I don't put the parsley in the dressing just because I keep it longer. Um, but I always like cut up parsley for the salad. So it's like part of it. Okay. So Do you have a favorite kind of rice? There's so many kinds. Um, you know, I just love, there's so many kinds. I actually don't. That's a great question. I was just thinking about that the other day. I was like, I feel like I need to hone in on one. I, <laughs> my, mom, my mom's Mediterranean. So it's like, you know, Israeli. So I was just raised on rice. We eat a lot of rice. Um, and I love it. And I like making it. Like I know people have like an aversion to cooking rice. I really enjoy making it. <laughs> so yeah, we eat a lot. I, I make rice with, I don't know about you guys. I feel like I make rice with a lot of meals. Second question, what keeps you up at night? It's a great question. It changes. Usually I actually fall asleep very easily. I just don't stay asleep. And, and it's not, it's rare that I stay awake because there's something on my mind now, I have to say. But I would say in this, what's happening now, what keeps me up is more the, you know, I feel responsible for a lot of moving parts. I feel responsible for a business, for people's employment, for people's sanity outside of um, the employment, I think that keeps me up a little bit, not necessarily about me thinking about it and feeling guilty, but I think the adrenaline that runs because of that, I think keeps me up, like just the adrenaline pumping. And then do you have techniques to help soothe yourself to sleep or to quiet the mind or the adrenaline? Yeah, breath. It's like I'm a big, slow, long, deep breather whenever I feel anything like that. And it usually, so like if you can really like take I would say belly breaths, like where you're inhaling and your belly is what increases and expands first, and then your chest follows. And most people don't breathe properly. I mean, during the day, like you and I aren't breathing properly right now. So we don't realize like how little oxygen we're actually getting and like giving ourselves. So if we would actually breathe properly, even just for a few minutes a day, but especially if you're in bed and like anxious, it's great. Like sometimes I can calm myself down in just two breaths. Like, because if you inhale and really expand it on that exhale. I like to a kind of picture things being let go, but also picture kind of this energy and this light going through my body and down because it kind of grounds you. And in some ways too, it's almost like cleansing you as it goes through. And you do that twice, like it really does start to move stuff for you. But by the way, do it as much as you need to. I'm not saying only, I'm just saying in two breaths, you can start to feel it. <laughs> my last question are, have you discovered reliable sources of happiness? I mean, I think it takes a lifetime to really figure out, to get to know yourself and then to eventually figure out what always makes you feel connected to you and happy. Reliable, well, like you just said, I think the most reliable source of happiness is you. So until you can figure that out, it's, it's hard because you're reaching and you're looking and you think it's going to make you happy and it doesn't. However, a form of practice, which everyone always talks about, which is an easy way to start getting into that is gratitude. And I find, especially when I'm in a bad place or in a bad mood, or like if I'm having trouble sleeping, sometimes a lot of what I do is the breath. And I also just start saying the things I'm thankful for. And it just kind of takes me away. So I do find that that is an automatic source of happiness because it can be anything. You can just be happy you're breathing, happy you're wearing your shirt, happy the sun is shining so beautifully. I mean, if you go out even for a second, even if you just poke your head out the window and take a breath, I think it would be hard not to experience even a moment of happiness. So that's for me. I think it's versus being like, there's this one song, like I have moments of things that can do it. But I think over time I've learned it has to be within you and gratitude really does help get you there.
I love that. Yeah, pay attention. Like what gets you excited? Like use that. If it is a song, use it. Like anything that can help you get into that vibration. I love that. Well, thank you so much thank you for, for taking the me. time. My pleasure. Lovely. I love yeah. what you do. And same here. And I always love talking to you. So thank you so much. Same here. Thanks for listening. Podcast show notes can be found at my website at nontoxicliving.tips. To more easily listen to other episodes, please subscribe to the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast. And if you'd like to support it, then please like it and share it. Until next time.